From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome, everybody, to episode 179 of the Killing It Podcast. I'm Carl, joined today by Dave and Ryan, and we have an amazing show for you. And we're going to start off with the fun question of the day. Gents, what is something you love, but you can't recommend to anybody because you know they won't like it? So my answer on this has not changed in 50 years liver okay <laughs> when i when i was on yeah. a high school debate team, we would travel around <laughs> right and we would go like i'd like to go to places like denny's because i could order liver and onions and i could eat them every single time we went out and everybody else is like oh my god are you kidding me <laughs> <So>. <laughs> i would be i would be in the oh my god are you kidding me camp <laughs> but to follow on a food theme and this is one where i've learned over the years people don't like it but that does not diminish my probability of recommending it to people spam like i love me some good spam like spam and eggs just grilled spam spam on a sandwich with cheese come on man like i grew up with it and we didn't think of it as a an oddity that you had to get used to it was just normal part of the repertoire right it was in the menu and my dad loved it i grew up loving it i still eat spam on a regular basis not just as a curiosity and people still recoil from the concept and i'm, I'm out here being like a spam ambassador because there 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 are many good ways to eat that stuff <laughs> see i so mine's not going to be food uh so the funny thing i'm going to laugh because is is there's always a gadget I'm playing with that I always really love, and then I would never tell anyone to buy. And and the current <laughs> one, the current one, just for everyone, is is the current is I have a Facebook Portal Plus on my desk that I'm like I, I love this form factor. I love this like this is a super cool device and it's got a beautiful screen and like and it's really super cool for using meetings. And oh my god, I will not tell anyone to buy this thing. <laughs> <laughs> like it is kind of superfluous and and it's it's just one more thing and you've probably got five other ways of doing this better uh but i kind of love it <laughs> well and, and at any given moment there's always some gadget that i'm kind of playing with that fits that where it's just like oh yeah i really love that thing and i'm not gonna tell a single you, soul you do what it. you do for a living well, for I, a reason for a reason I will plus one on the spam, I do have to say. And the flavored spam, if you find Tocino flavored spam, buy all the cans you can. And if you don't yeah, like it, send see, it to me. See? So we, I have I have I mean I've had I spam. think I think we need to find out a okay. new way to get them to be one of our advertisers because we're we're giving oh. them the goodness here. Well, if anybody knows the hookup, <laughs> reach out. But speaking of speaking of our advertisers, do you like getting paid? Then make it easy for your customers with Gazinta Payments. Do you teach your customers not to click on links from strange domain names like mymsp.monkeypayments.com or slowbooks.com? Gazinta Payments uses your branding and domain name. No redirects, no confusion. Gazinta Mobius is trusted by over a thousand MSPs to sync financial data. Their new product, Gazinta Payments, is built with the same care and empathy to make the payment process easy for your customers. Gazinta is a family-owned business dedicated to making software suck less 
every day. Go to G-O-Z-Y-N-T-A dot com slash payments to learn more or get started. Our first topic today is actually something near and dear to my heart, and it is about reverse mentoring. So reverse mentoring, uh, Jack Welch, I think, made this uh, famous, I guess. Um, reverse mentoring is basically having young people teach older people about things, in particular culture and technology. And I say it's near and dear to my heart because I have always worked with young people. I love having young people around. They just, in their just daily chatter, introduce me to new things I hadn't heard of before, uh, keep me connected to the so-called real world. And um, so, so this is a movement, we're gonna put a link into a HubSpot article uh, about reverse mentoring and how organizations are saying, look, uh, our old people, older people, don't understand some of the new technology and they're making zero effort to learn it on their own. So we're, <laughs> we're gonna connect them with some younger people. I will say, I'll, I'll just straight out say, there's a lot of stereotypes here because there's also a lot of young people who refuse to learn technology. Um, but that isn't the norm in our industry. So what do you guys think about this delightful trend? Well, so let's let's remove age as, as that criteria. It's not linked to your willingness to try new things. I, I think that I think that's just one of those stereotypes that is just worth breaking down of like new people don't always uh, young people don't always want to try new things. Old people are not always closed minded to new things. That's it's not related to age. It's related much more to engagement and mentality. And by the way, Carl, I'm 100 percent with you. I am. Uh, energized talking to younger people, not dismayed by them. And I was, I actually was recently talking to somebody who was sort of, who sort of quipped the, are you able to find ones that'll work? And I was like, yeah, they're actually awesome. Like I love working with them. They're, they're interesting and, and dedicated and, and creative and come up with new ideas. I do recognize that I oftentimes have to be a little bit more flexible perhaps than those who employed me in early career were, but that's the things they're asking for are pretty good ideas, like work flexibility and work life balance, and like they've kind of figured out some of this stuff earlier. Uh, I I do think it is very worthwhile systemizing, bringing new ideas in with people that may be resistant, and that may be done in lots of different ways. And one of them can be partnering those that are younger that are soaking up new and creating new ideas partly because they don't have that rigid, I've been doing it for 30 years approach. And so they're open to very new ideas naturally. Partnering those, them with senior leadership is smart because that's bringing that creativity and different perspective to those that are in leadership. So they're getting that information. Again, double thumbs up from me. I just wanna make sure that, that we I do observe it's not related purely to age. It's yeah, much more about attitude. Well, and I, just a quick note before Ryan, before you jump in, the last person I had to fire was in her 50s and just couldn't figure out how to show up for work. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> it, is, it is not an age thing. And and I think that the the main takeaway that I got from this this article, which again, I think everybody should take a few minutes to read because it's not just an interesting idea. It is, it's a very tactical approach to how do you do these things and get the benefit from it? Very, very practical approach. The, every one of us has blind spots. Every one of us has areas of expertise that cause us to over-focus in certain areas and by definition, under-focus in others. You don't cure blind spots just by 
saying, well, I'm not going to have any blind spots, so I'm going to try to be aware of everything. That, that's, that is an impossible psychological phenomenon. What you have to do is to be challenged by those that are not from your same background, your same perspective, your same experience, your same priorities, and then they tell you why they believe that their stuff is very important. I think, Dave, you kind of touched on it there. It's not just the technology. It's the intersection of technology and culture that is broadly evolving with generational gaps. Uh, we, we know that millennials work differently from baby boomers, and we know that Gen Z works differently from Gen Xers. That's not a bad thing. It's just a different thing, and it's something we need to be aware of. If you can take this to the logical extreme, a group of young people who have their finger on the pulse and are trying hard and want to share that kind of information, educating senior executives on new technologies, new messaging for audiences that will make them more relevant, and new technology business models that are going to allow you to deliver all of that stuff in a new and more cost-effective way, both sides win, and I think this is a necessary reality in our industry more than any other, right? We are the techies, and well, I will say for sure, all three of us on this podcast, we got started in this industry as bright young pups who knew the next new hotness because we were the ones that were coming up and living it. Well, you don't get to keep that reputation forever unless you stay on the leading edge of technology evolution. And I unfortunately have to report from the real world that there are an awful lot of senior executives in technology vendors, in technology solution providers, all around our industry who are just old hacks yelling at people to stay off of their lawn because that's not the way we've done it for my 30 years in the industry. Uh, we are supposed to be the cutting edge people. That requires effort. This is a very practical way to make it happen. Oh, by the way, they, one of the mantras that I always talk to you is surround yourself with people smarter than you. Nothing about that statement has anything to do with how old they are. <laughs> like, right. Again, and, and, and to a certain degree, like, you should be looking for those smart advisors to surround yourself as a business leader with. And I'm going to include, you, know, you want people that are bringing those new ideas. And so look to anyone. Don't assume their age. By the way, it should also not assume their background their 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 race their any their their uh you know that none of those are criteria to judge what insights they're going to be able to bring with you and i do think you want to have some space for some new energy whatever that may look like you know that that is worth bringing into your organization so i i do have to disagree with ryan i never believe any of this crap about that these people these younger people these days are different or have to be treated differently or that they uh, operate differently. They operate the way you ask them to operate. <laughs> it's your business. You own it. You set the rules. Um, and so they don't, you know, they it's just this is just always this thing that the media loves to keep repeating to each other. It's not true. It's never been true. It never will be true. The owner sets the rules. But having said that, the owner needs to tune in to what these people are asking them and saying, oh, well, how, how should I change my business, right? This isn't a forcing you to change your business. This is 
an opportunity for you to refresh your business so that you can survive the next five years. I think too many people do business the same old way because they've always done it the same old way. That never ends well. <laughs> a very wise person told me a few, many years ago, you know, uh, there once was a time where we all used to make money selling dot matrix printers. You don't see that happening anymore, so stay on the edge. <laughs> All right, guys, let's move into topic number two. And as we move into this one, a bit of a callback to a topic that we were talking about in our last episode. We were observing some peculiar trends and dynamics in the cybersecurity industry, namely that we have a lot of hero culture going on and senior executives that want to work on high-end, very complicated, very uh, very popular, very cool problems, and that leaves us with a grand vulnerability at the entry level in our industry. Uh, we see far too many job postings that say things like, must be an actual expert with publishing credentials and all the rocket science education in the world, and I'll pay you minimum wage for an entry level job. That's never going to solve the problem. But there is perhaps a way to solve the problem. The article that we're linking to here talks about a trend where the concept of apprenticeships are moving aggressively beyond industries that are focused on the trades. Right now, if you were a plumber, an electrician, if you were a framing professional in this world, uh, you know for, a for many generations, the way you get into this is you are not one, so you intern, then you apprentice, then you get on your, and then you are a professional. And by the way, you're getting paid all along to be the next generation of a skilled professional. That concept applied to our industry, and it's happening in growing numbers. I'd love to see what your thoughts are on being a, being a cutting edge industry, bringing in the entry level people into managed services and cybersecurity. What do you guys think? All right, I, I got to weigh in with, with, with something because I wanted the, the article we're referencing also includes PwC's latest pulse survey. And it has two ideas that are in there at the same time. First off, senior executives, 52% uh, are freezing hiring, half are cutting headcount, 44% are rescinding offers, right? But they're still also saying growth is their 83% is saying their top objective. I want to observe that if you are having to make to reduce headcount and do hiring, you're bad at people management. Like you have done a bad job at your job. And I want to highlight that it's like, there's a lot of this, like, oh, let's go check with the executives. Thing. What they've essentially just told you is, well, I need to grow, but I was bad at my core bit of bringing people into the org. That's the message, right? And so what I actually, the reason I think this is important is particularly oftentimes these surveys are coming from big companies who I have just said are right. bad at this. They've admitted it, they just won't say it, right? So small companies need to lean into, you are oftentimes lean and mean because you have to be. However, I do think you need to get over this idea of I'm gonna hire perfect people every single time. You're gonna to need to grow people more than than a than a lot of a lot of organizations. And you're gonna yeah. grow them to investment. Completely agree. You know and yeah, that, that, I'm such a huge fan, especially for small business. You have to find people who are good and competent and, and have potential. And even if they don't know anything, train them. Because not only can you train them in the things you need them to know, right? You can say, here, 
here's a course, go get a Cisco certification, go get a whatever. Uh, but you can also train them in your culture, the way you want to grow your business, how you deal with clients, so forth. Uh, and again, I super agree with the fact that really big businesses are horrible at people management, right? I mean, how, how do you guarantee that you're 20%? Well, you just cut labor whenever you need to. Oh, without any regard to the fact that that represents the ability to deliver services, <laughs> the ability to have continuity, the ability to grow, you know, it, there's so much stupidity in large business. It's, it's amazing that any of them survive because they treat human beings like widgets. Let me just observe that companies that say they have to do a bunch of layoffs should admit that their managers are bad at their job. The leaders have literally not managed correctly to understand growth. Because if you're growing and pulling in revenue and doing things, you wouldn't have to lay those people off. The these is you're bad at your job. But they, they're not bad at their jobs because their job is not to manage people or to create a great product. Their job is to make money. And so as long as they make their 20%, they get their bonus. Well, you know, I, I would argue that that is not building that, that you were you are it's a, it's the short term, long term. Uh, you know, you're sacrificing long term for short term. And, and again, I just think you're you're bad at your job fundamentally if you're having to do this. But the reason to focus here is is the, the opportunity for small companies to be much more focused on building people. I think you're going to need to lean into this. I think there is there is tons of program right now to help bring apprentices on, to bring people through and help take people that are not necessarily a perfect match and grow them into your organization. And small companies can be way better at managing their people and can take advantage See, and, of this. And to put some numbers to this, across our industry, that's widely understood, that there are somewhere between three and four million current open positions available and in need of hiring with a technical definition. Whether you are writing code for a software vendor, whether you are implementing solutions as a solution provider, whether you are running the IT department at an end user, three or four million open jobs that we can't hire. You're never gonna manufacture those people if all you do is go and steal the good ones away from somebody else and pay the premium for their years of experience. That doesn't increase the size of the employment pool. All it does is shuffle the, the chairs on the Titanic, right? What we have to do is to manufacture an inbound quantity that will fulfill the needs of the industry and continue to actually bring new brains and new bodies into our business. As we said in our first topic, new brains is a good thing. They don't come from the people with 15 or 20 years of experience already just taking a new job. We need to manufacture this. I've said this for years to solution providers on the topic of sales and also on the topic of cybersecurity engineers. The definition of competitive advantage is not that I have better employees than you do. We all like to say, oh, my people are my number one asset and that's the most valuable part of my business. That's not true because they don't stay forever. And if your business model is, I have a great person and they're doing a great job and they're just gonna stay in that job forever and ever and ever, and that means I will always have a competitive advantage, you are a sitting duck. Competitive advantage is not defined by having better employees. It is defined by creating an environment that manufactures better employees. If you do not have the ability to take what is not currently qualified and make it 
excellently qualified, you are yesterday's news. And I want to make an important point for small businesses at this, literally at this moment in history. <clears throat> We're about to go through a period where a thing will happen in economics that happens all the time. And it is that you're going to get squeezed tighter and tighter and tighter, and you're going to put off hiring somebody for a long period of time. The definition of, of productivity is producing as much as possible in terms of billable labor and, and services um, with as few people as possible. So when you delay hiring a new person, what happens is productivity shoots up. The minute you hire somebody, productivity shoots down. That is what we're all going to go through in the next six to eight months. And we're going to see the entire industry have productivity go up, 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 up. And then when we start hiring again, it's going to go down. Not because anything bad happened, something good happened. You had enough money to guarantee that you can hire somebody and not have to fire them <laughs> right? because you ran out of money. So we're, we're generally really smart about this in small business, but you need to tune into, okay, how do you go through all of that by making sure that you hire people so that you can grow them because it's going to be cheaper to hire somebody you have to grow yourself than it is to hire somebody who's already at the top of their game. Well, we are, uh, we, I'm sure we will revisit this one because we're out of time and I'm going to move us on to topic number three. And it, gents, it's Amazon. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, um, shocking. Uh, so one of those elements that we have to talk about is is Amazon Care. So this is this is one of their earlier investments. This is not one medical in their recent acquisition. This is not the other acquisitions they're exploring. This is their Amazon Care element, and this is uh, the the pushback now we're linking to a Washington Post article, is that their fast and frugal approach is proving to be a tough fit for some healthcare professionals. There's, there's thinking here is, of course, they're, they're taking their very Amazon approach. They're trying to apply it to healthcare, and there's already some resistance. Gents, uh, surprised, not surprised? What's your, what's your take here? Well, this is what happens when any large business decides, hey, I know what, I could do, go do that because I got a whole bunch of money. Uh, they turn the workers into drones. They don't care about the human beings who work for them. They want to get as many hours for as little money. Um, none of this is shocking. None of this is surprising. This is 100% predictable. I hope that their technology-based solutions are better at this, but literally like right now where I live, there are two different hospital systems with nurses on strike, <laughs> right? So, and why is that? It's because they all do exactly this. Uh, I think it's just the most amazing thing in America that we underpay nurses and teachers who are like, the most critical people. Like who, who does the jobs that you will never take in a thousand years? A nurse. Like I've never met a nurse whose job I would ever do, right? <laughs> so, so why are they the least paid people in that system? And then they get cranked into this machine that just chews them up and spits them out as if they're not human beings. It's just See, and, and this is this is a case study in business model disruption. Everybody thinks, well, I've got this brand new technology. I can apply it to an existing industry, disrupt all of the existing players, and I can find efficiencies that yield better performance, better profit, etc. Okay, so if that's your objective, then the, the, the last 10 years, right? The last 15 years, everybody said, just do what Apple does. It'll be better. Okay. In the last five years, everybody has been saying, well, just do what Amazon does. Except when you diagnose that, 
the Amazonification of any business model yields unhappy core workers, right? Amazon got into logistics and suddenly the, the most unsafe job in America, the one with the highest injury rates and the lowest satisfaction rates was warehouse workers. So Amazon got into actual delivery and then we hear stories about I'm a delivery driver and I have to pee in a pop bottle. This is the very same business model disruption. Now, Dave, you made a good point before we got on, on the recording here. Um, healthcare needs to be disrupted. Healthcare for the provider and the payer side are both wildly inefficient and absolutely not delivering a standard of care that we should deserve based on how much money we are putting into it as a culture. Healthcare sucks and it needs to be disrupted let's not default all the way to the other end of the spectrum and say, you know, if I just make nurses work more hours and give less care so that we can drive up productivity per headcount and use technology to eliminate a lot of the touch and the actual care part of care, that, yes, the industry needs to be disrupted. No, it doesn't need to be disrupted by making the core workers miserable. There is a happy medium, and I think technology... Yeah telehealth and other ways to increase human touch are actually far more interesting. So, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be a little uh, contrarian here and go like, look, you guys are completely right that this is predictable and this is how this is all goes. But from, from where I sit, it's like, yeah, it's completely predictable. But of the, there are only a handful of companies with the resources to experiment at this level and this, this, but they have enough money, time, willingness, and by the way, need to move into this large market to try things. And I have every expectation they're going to make a bunch of mistakes because this is but, really but to, hard. To your point, and, this is not the, the new high tech, blah, 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 only Amazon can do it. This is a pretty low tech, oh, we've discovered Zoom and we can provide healthcare that way. This is like something that almost every hospital in the world is doing and Amazon decided to jump onto it. So well, this was their first foray and it's it's not very good. I was just recently looking at some, uh, some dental options and one company made a big deal of having teledentistry. And I thought, how the hell does that work? And they're like, mail me a Dremel tool and then walk me through filling my own tooth. Like that just doesn't sound good. That hospital is so innovative, said no one ever, right? So like, yeah, I mean, sure. There's a whole bunch of these organizations that you're right. Like they're wading into an area that's well-established, but the one difference is they're at least innovative. They will at least try things, build things, experiment, iterate. And by the way, if you, if you read into what all they're saying, there is, Amazon's very much in control of this. Amazon is definitely trying, pushing different, like they're not hands off. And so I'm looking at this sort of saying like, yeah, we're just watching them like experiment and fail a bunch of times in public on something that we're all very invested in because we're very invested in healthcare. But the difference is they have runway to do that, right? They are motivated to do it. They are motivated to try different things. They have the bankroll to do it, where the incumbent systems have proven they are very much not willing to try those things. So but the, here's the question, though. Are they are they creating something that is better or are they just creating something that's different? Well, the, again, the, 
Yeah, the code the code here is Amazonification equals removing cost by lowering quality and maximizing productivity. That 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 is their business school definition. Uh, Dave, you say they have a lot of runway, and that runway is made of the gravel of all of you and me who are in the system who might actually need to get some health care. And that's that's a really unfortunate way for them to just experiment. I mean if you want to experiment in the laboratory, cool. If you want to do that on me and my kids when they go to the hospital, not cool, right? Like there needs to be a little bit of care. But this is the reason why I think this topic is so very relevant to our audience. The healthcare industry, as old and as stayed as it is and as not innovative as it has always been, A, drastically needs to be disrupted. B, will be disrupted, whether by Amazon or somebody else using technology. As a solution provider, if you are not verticalizing your go-to-market strategy to focus on the healthcare industry, you are missing opportunities at the local level. Whether it is patient record management, eliminating bureaucratic inefficiencies, automating the delivery of schedule information, these are all things that an MSP should be able to do in their sleep, and that industry sucks at. So I'm here to say, Healthcare will not be in five years what it has ever been. And if we as an industry do not lead the charge at the local level, well, that's just volunteering to get left out of a trillion dollars. Let me let me push right. I'm going to push back a little bit because because I'm going to say, like, look, you're not wrong to say, like, look, I don't want these things experimenting with me and my family. But the bar is not high for trying new things. I had an amazing customer experience uh, at the hospital is, again, a phrase no one has ever said, right? It is like the worst. If you think about it from a customer experience, retail style experience, it's like the worst possible experience you can ever have. You have to go in early for an appointment that they won't then hold you will redo paperwork that you have done multiple times before they will they somebody will sit behind a desk fling a clipboard across at you and say here like there's no there's no the bar is so low for doing anything slightly better on a customer experience perspective that like yeah, I get it. I don't want them messing with the doctors, but there is so much that sucks that they can try different things. And I'm kind of okay with that because you can't make it that much worse. Like, what are you going to do? Stab me on the way in? Like, that's the one thing that makes it worse. <laughs> yeah, we get we get a higher government reimbursement if for stab victims. Right, so if right. Sit still for a moment. This won't take long. So I, I will say this. So we're almost out of time, but uh, if I were going to bet on who's going to disrupt healthcare, it wouldn't be Amazon. It would be Walmart. I think Walmart is rolling things out in their stores. They have a base. They are actually dedicated to people who live paycheck to paycheck. So they have a mission statement that involves people rather than simply money. And I think that the, in the end, they have a better opportunity for disruption I, than yep. Amazon. I look forward to watching Amazon v. Walmart on healthcare. That will be fun. <laughs> All right. $1 bet, you got it. Sadly, that will be the end of episode 179 of the Killing It Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It Podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. 
Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.